ways, uh, that we would be willing to admit that you're God and we're not, and that we would lift you up. God, I pray that in the next few moments as we open the word, that you, by your spirit, would be able to speak to us. I pray that our hearts would be drawn to your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would change us to make us better at serving you and living for you. I pray that if there's some here who uh, don't know you, haven't made that choice to follow you, that today they would see Jesus in a new and fresh way and be willing to give their heart and their life to you. Use your word to speak to our hearts. Start with mine. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You can have a seat. I don't know if you realize it or not, but this week um, is Thanksgiving. <laughs> that might be a uh, revelation to some of you. If you're like me, you're wondering where the month went. Uh, it has gone really quickly. I want to give you a little history lesson this morning as we start. Um, Thanksgiving uh, started really in, well, we say here, okay, in the United States, that it started in 1621, 1623, somewhere right in there. Uh, but let me just burst that bubble as we start this morning. There were, there were groups of people who were thankful prior to that, in, in case you didn't, you weren't aware of that. I was doing some history, and I realized that, like, the Egyptians used to celebrate Thanksgiving. Did you know that? And the Greeks and the Romans and the Jewish nations uh, used to celebrate Thanksgiving. But anyway, here in 1621, we're young. We're a young nation. And so for us, it started then. Anyway, just to keep going with the thought, it, Thanksgiving started in this country around 1621. And the pilgr pilgrims start celebrating Thanksgiving, but we have these pictures of them with the, the little turkey and, and everybody gathering together to, to give thanks, and that's really not what happened. I'm sorry. Governor Bradford um, actually was the guy who told everybody to stop for a little bit, and they'd had a drought is what really was going on, and they didn't have a lot of food. And the drought had broken that year, and they were thankful for the fact that they had enough. And they stopped, and this is going to shock you. He called a couple of days of fasting. Now think about Thanksgiving. <laughs> Find the humor. Bear with me. He called a few days of fasting, and then they came together, and they had a meal. They had a feast together in thankfulness for what God had provided for them. And then in 1789, in the American Revolution time, Washington issued the first national thanksgiving. And again, it was marked by fasting <laughs> prior to eating. And then in 1817, several states adopted the idea of stopping and pausing for thanks. And then in 1863, Abraham Lincoln, during the Civil War, made a proclamation and he, he asked everyone on the last Thursday of the month of November to stop, to fast, once again, you catch this, to fast 
and to pray for all of the families who had lost loved ones during the Civil War and to remember the widows and the orphans of the families who had paid such a high price. And that was what Thanksgiving was marked as. And then in 1939, Roosevelt, you're coming out of the Depression, if you remember. Well, you may not remember because you might not have been there, but you're coming out of the Depression. And Roosevelt made a decree in 1939, and he said, we're going to move Thanksgiving to the third week of November, and we're going to change it to be commercialized to stimulate the economy. This is real. You can look it up for yourself. To stimulate the economy. And so Thanksgiving became about Black Friday that we know today and about stimulating the economy for the Christmas season. Do you notice a shift? And how many of you, you don't have to put your hands up, okay? I'm not asking for that. But how many of you start Thanksgiving with fasting and prayer for days before you become a glutton? <laughs> but do you notice a shift? And we don't, we don't talk about what Thanksgiving, and this, this, isn't, this isn't what the lesson is about Thanksgiving. But what I want you to catch this morning is this. There are so many things that start out one way and end up something totally different. And in our own personal life, the same thing happens to us. There are all kinds of things that start out in our lives with purpose and meaning and mission and headed one way and very purposefully going one way. And after a period of time, we drift and our focus gets lost and whatever it was or whatever it is becomes about something totally different. And when you look back, you go, how in the world did I get here because I started out with this purpose in mind? That's where I was going. Now, just so you know, you're not alone. It happens to everybody. It's part of our humanity. And the verses that we're going to look at this morning, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10. And we're going to look at just a few verses in, in the, kind of in the next section that we've been talking about. And they're going to help us to understand that there are times when God changes our focus on purpose. It's not a drift. God purposely says, this was what this was all about, but I need it to be about this. I need to change the focus a little bit. And that's what this next little passage is all about. It's going to talk about God saying the focus of your life and your faith. Remember, Hebrews is all about our faith. And we've talked about how God ordained our faith and how God used faith and how he used it in great characters of the Bible, how he changed the course of history with their faith how he asked them to trust him in spite of not understanding what was next or knowing how it was going to work out or having the strength or the resources to walk through. 
He told us how their faith conquered great things, but he also told us that there were those who had great faith who gave their life. They were martyred for their faith. They didn't see the end. There were those who were promised great things. We've been promised great things in our faith, and they won't ever realize that promise until eternity. That's part of faith. And then in this, remember chapter 13, he's wrapping up how we walk out our faith every day of our life. That's what we're talking about. And this is one more of those steps of walking out our faith every day of our life. We're going to start reading in in chapter, I mean in chapter 13, verse 10, and we're going to look at four observations from the passage. They come right out of the verses, four observations from the passage. Here, Here we go. Observation number one, found in verses 10 to 13, it's this. We must identify, first of all, with Christ. We must identify with Christ. Here's the verses. They say this. We have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have the right to eat. This seems like a strange verse for us. Just wait. We'll get back to it. We'll understand it in a minute. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is bought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. These verses that we just read are helping us to understand the difference between something that was and something that is now. Remember I said there's a shift. There's shifts. And this is the shift. He's going to explain the shift to us. He's going to say, what was, now you remember verse 9 last week? We ended with verse 9 and we said this, don't get caught up. Remember, we were talking about our salvation and our faith. And we are talking about living by grace and faith in Jesus Christ. And we said this, don't let somebody suck you in to regulations about food and about ways that you have to worship. You're supposed to worship freely Jesus Christ and come before him. And it's not about the regulations. It's about my heart and my relationship with him. Well, he's continuing that thought from verse 9. And he says this, look, there used to be an altar. And that altar was a place where sacrifices were brought. And very few were allowed to be before the altar. Actually, the high priest was in, and when he went in, they tied a string or a cord to his leg because if he wasn't in the right place with God, he would be killed and they'd pull him out. You couldn't go in and get him. And this altar that was the holy of holies that you went before, they would go in on the Day of Atonement to make a sin offering. And that sin offering would be made, and then they would take that that offering outside the camp, and they would burn whatever was left outside of the camp. Because it was a a show of the sin being taken away. And he goes, that was the old system. And the new system in Jesus Christ is this, that Jesus Christ became that sin offering. And it's very symbolic of how that took place. He wasn't killed inside of Jerusalem. If you you read the story and you remember the events of his crucifixion, what what happened? They took him outside the city. To the hill of the, of the skull. And they killed him outside the city, which goes back actually to what happened in the Old Testament and the requirements of the Old Testament. And Jesus became the sacrifice outside the city. 
and he paid the price for you and for me. And he says in these verses, he says, now you and I need to go where? Not, not to a religious sanctuary, not to, to some religious chapel, not to an altar. Where do we go? What's the verse say? Do you remember? We go outside the system to Jesus Christ. We don't go to a religious system. We go to a person, to a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where we go. And, and we want, often in our minds, we say, we want to take things to the altar. Well, the altar was a physical place that we would go to, and it represented what was going on internally. And going to the altar was a representation of laying something down or making a sacrifice. And God says, you don't do that anymore. You don't go to the altar anymore. You go directly to Jesus Christ. That's where you go. You don't need a physical place to go. You have, you have access to Jesus Christ and, by the way, to the Father through Jesus Christ all the time. All the time. And what he's telling us is this. He's saying, look, believer, look, child of God, go to Christ. Remember, we ended last week by me saying, look, look to Jesus, see Jesus, know Jesus, know Jesus this week. That's where I ended. I pleaded with you last week. Know Jesus. This verse picks this up and he says, look, go to Christ, go to Christ, go to the altar of Jesus Christ. Stay there. That's where you belong. Don't get wrapped up in some system. Know Jesus. Know Jesus. And so observation number one from this passage is this. First and foremost, folks, we have to identify with the person of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Is your faith a religious system? Don't answer too quick. Or is it a relationship with Jesus Christ? You say, Tim, how do I know that? Well, in a relationship... You have a conversation with God. And you know him well enough that you know the character of God or Jesus. And you know his heart. And because you know his heart, you live his heart. It's a relationship. A system is a series of things that you check off and you feel good about yourself as you check them off. And you know what that says? It's about you, not him. A relationship is about the other person. It's about knowing them and living life with them and hanging out with them and, and knowing them well enough that they get to change who you are. That's a relationship. Do you identify with Jesus Christ? Or are you living a system? Are you back on the old Galatians 2.20 says it this way, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me and the life that I now live, I live how? By Jesus Christ, by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. That's how I live my life. Why? Because I've crucified the system that I thought would work. I've crucified my old self and my pride and all of that stuff that I live by. And I've just given it all over to Jesus Christ. And I'm like, it's you and you alone. That's it. Do you identify with Christ? Observation number two from the passage found in verse 14. 
And I love this observation. I love the first one, but I like this one. I like them all. I'll be honest. Found in verse 14, this is not home. Look at this. Verse 14 says, For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one that is to come. This isn't home. I was studying this this week, and this came to my mind. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My troubles are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. That's why they don't ask me to sing. (laughs) But that's the thought that's been going through my mind all week. This isn't home. I don't feel like I belong. I don't. There are so many things about this culture that I just don't belong. I don't want to. I don't identify with how they're living life and the choices they're making. And you know what? I shouldn't because this isn't home. I should feel very uncomfortable. I'm a foreigner. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a child of the king. I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And every one of those things, I am to belong, I am to act like the place that I'm from. Now, without meddling too much, just a little, are you acting like a citizen of heaven? Are you acting like a citizen of this world? If you're a Christ follower, you don't belong here. This is not home. And when it's not home, it means that I don't get attached to the stuff that's here. That's not where my joy and my security and my reason for living, that's not where it's wrapped up. That's not what it's found in. My joy for living and my security and my reason for getting up in the morning is for home. It's for home. And if this is not home and this isn't where I belong and this is a temporary resident, then I travel light. I don't carry a lot of junk. I don't have a lot of stuff clogging and weighing me down as I live out my life because I'm traveling somewhere more important. I'm headed home. And I think often for us in this world, we want to get comfortable. And because of our desire to get comfortable, we gather stuff around us and we make that the purpose of our living. Getting more, having more comfort, being secure in this world. And we shouldn't, because this isn't home. You're not home yet. 
this isn't it. And you know what? I'm really happy it's not. I don't know about you, but I'm really happy it's not. So how do I remind myself on a regular basis that this isn't home? Because I don't know about you, but it's really easy for me for my focus to shift. Remember what we talked about at the beginning about Thanksgiving and it started out one way and ended up so. It's really easy for me to get distracted. It's really easy for me to live life and forget the purpose and that God is the main purpose and that this isn't where I belong. It's really easy for me to get wrapped up in this life and to do all kinds of wonderful things and get excited about them and lose what it is that I'm supposed to be focused on. Maybe it's just me, and if it is, just bear with me for the next few minutes, okay? But if it's not, would you follow along? How do I stay focused on the fact that I have a home somewhere else? Well, the passage tells us, observation number three found in verse 15 is this, to offer a sacrifice of praise. Look at this verse. It says, therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Did you catch that? The sacrifice of praise to God is, is it's the fruit of my lips that confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That I lift up the fact that he's God and I'm not. He's the master. He's the king and I'm not. It's a sacrifice of praise. And as I travel light in this light, remember, we're not home. I'm continually offering a sacrifice of praise to God for what he has done, for what he is doing, and for what he will do. I am continually coming before God and realizing, look, God, if you hadn't intervened in my life, I'd be living a hopeless life right now, all for me. I would have no purpose in my life. I would have no mission. I would have no meaning. If God had not intervened, thank you, God, and sacrifice of prayer. Thank you. For what he is doing, God is doing things in my life right now, in your life. If you'll stop long enough to see it, he's doing. God has done miracle after miracle after miracle in my life in the last two years. It's amazing. It is amazing what God has done. And I say all the time, constantly, I come before God with a sacrifice. Thank you, God. You showed up in a way that I could not have imagined. There's no way I could have dreamt in a million years what you were going to do. And you did it. Thank you. You led me to a conversation with a person about something. It was only God. There was no way that should It's God. Thank you, God. What he has done what he is doing, and at the same time, I look ahead and I say, God, thank you for what you're going to do, first of all, in my own life and how you're going you're gonna to make me more like your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for the way that you're going to work in this body to make us as a body more like Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for the way you're going to use me and my gifts and this body and our gifts to make a difference in this community and the Oxford Hills for the glory and the kingdom of God. Thank you, God, for what you're about to do. God, thank you for the grace that you've already offered us. Thank you for the strength that you've provided. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for just being you. A sacrifice of praise 
off my lips to God. And when I do that, I'm admitting who he is and I'm admitting my need for him and it puts me in the right position before God and it puts me in the right position with you when I do that. A sacrifice of praise. Well, how do I do that? Romans does such a good job telling us how to do that sacrifice of praise. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says it this way. Therefore, brothers and sisters, that's you and me, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. In light of what God has done for us, I'm urging you, I am urging you as your brother in Jesus Christ, present yourself, all of you, As a living, walking sacrifice to God, present yourself holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Don't be conformed to this. You don't belong. Don't conform. Don't give in. This isn't home. You don't have to look like everybody else. You don't have to live like them. You don't have to act like them. You don't belong here. Don't conform to this age But be, look at these two words, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a work of the Spirit of God in your life and mine. And he says this, look, be transformed, be changed. Allow the Spirit of God to grab a hold of your heart and your life in such a way that he squeezes it and molds it into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what those verses mean. He says this, don't conform, don't give in to the world but be transformed. Be transformed by the person of God in your life, by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good and pleasing and the perfect will of God. Folks, if you want to offer a sacrifice of praise to God, you need to offer yourself. You need to get to know the character to God, to get to know God and his character, to take the effort and the time and the thought and the humility to get before God and admit who you are and admit who he is and allow the spirit of God to work in you. And folks, that takes effort. And some of us are so busy watching stuff on TV and YouTube and on our phones and all that junk that we don't take the effort and the time to get before God and to know Him. We've filled our life with junk instead of knowing God. And He says, stop. You're a child of mine. Heaven is your home. You're a citizen of heaven. Live like it. Offer a sacrifice of praise. Take the effort. Take the time. Get to know me. Know my character. And allow it to be part of who you are. A sacrifice of praise. Hey, before I move to observation number four, let me tell you this. The sacrifice of praise is not a one-time event. It's not an emotional event. It's not a one-time experience. It's every day of my life. It's coming before God repeatedly and offering Him me. You want to know why? Because our old nature, our pride 
and our selfishness are really, really super sneaky. And they creep in and they tell you things like, you got this. You don't need God. You have this figured out. You deserve. You're owed. God goes, no. It's through a sacrifice of praise that I'm in the proper position for God to do his work in me. It's continual. Last observation found in verse 16, and it's this. Live out your praise. So we're going to offer a sacrifice of praise, and now verse 16 is going to tell us to live that praise out. Here it is. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share. For God is pleased with such sacrifices. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share. For God is pleased with such sacrifices. It's a daily choice. I will choose to do what is good for others. I will actively care for others. I will engage in their lives. I will share what I have. I will want what is best for others. It's an active choice of the character of God being so entrenched in who I am that I walk it out in front of other people all the time and with other people people all the time. And that sacrifice of praise that I'm giving when I bow myself before God and I admit that he's God and I'm not is lived out with the people that I rub shoulders with every day. And they will be affected by that sacrifice of God. So often we say this, well, my sacrifice of God is private. It's between me and God and nobody else needs to know. That is not true. That may be where it starts. That may be the beginning of the sacrifice of praise, but that is not where it ends up. Never. Scripture over and over and over and over again tells us this, that the evidence of my worship and my sacrifice of of praise is seen in how I treat and live with other people. My faith in God affects how I live out my everyday life. It's super, super practical. Am I praising God right now? And will it, is it, and will it be evident with the people who are closest to me and to you? It should be. Is it? The people this week that you lived life with, if I were to go, let's not say me. If you were to go to them, I don't want to embarrass anybody. If you were to go to them this week and you were to ask them, was my life, as I lived it with you, a sacrifice of praise to God, what would they say? You don't have to answer. What would they say? See, if it's real, if, what, if it's what I'm living every day, then they can't help but see it. They can't help but be affected. James chapter 2, verse 17 says it this way. So you see, faith by itself is not enough. It's not saying that it doesn't save me. That's not what it's saying. Get the rest of the verse. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. 
unless the outcome of my faith splashes on other people. Let's be really practical. Unless somehow it affects somebody else, then it's just words that I'm saying. It's just words that I'm saying. My actions are an indication of the state of my heart. If I am praising God, it will be evident in how I treat other people. This week, as you live with your family and your coworkers and your friends and your community, if you are a Christ follower, if I am a Christ follower, and I am, then we are called to be a walking sacrifice of praise to God this week. Will you be? Will you be? Will you allow it to be evident to those around you? The band's going to sing a special for us, and the special is actually that cry. The cry is asking that my heart would not be shy, (laughs) but that I would make known before all men that Jesus is real in me. God, would you give us the courage and the strength to be a walking sacrifice of praise to you this week? Would it be evident to those we live life with, could we please be a reflection of Jesus Christ this week in this community. In your name we pray, amen. You can remain seated as the band sings this special for us this morning.